This is episode 45 with elite marathoner, Olympic trials qualifier, and running coach, Nick Arseniaga. Hi, everyone. It's Jason. Welcome back to the Strength Running Podcast, and happy December. I can't believe it's 2017 is about to come to an end already, but that means we now have the opportunity to make 2018 even better. So maybe I'll start the podcast today with a challenge. I'm going to challenge you to sit down for a couple minutes and just jot down three to four ideas about how you can change your approach to your training next year for the better. So what can you do differently that would help you improve? So some of the big impact things that uh, I think you can do that are going to give you the most bang for your buck are things like running higher weekly mileage. That has a huge impact on your ability to run fast. You could commit to training more consistently, taking fewer days off and being more consistent with workouts and long runs and strength training. That's a great idea as well. And speaking of strength training, you could start lifting more strategically not a boot camp or body pump class or CrossFit or anything like that, but how runners really should lift with an emphasis on strength rather than on gaining muscle or on endurance. Us distance runners really need to focus on strength and power when we're in the weight room. We're going to have a lot more on that next month, but let me know what you come up with. And uh, I might even help you refine some of those ideas. Hit me up on Twitter at JasonFitz1 and we can chat. But first, let's dive in. Thanks to Health IQ for sponsoring today's show. They provide life insurance to healthy people like us runners so that we get special life insurance rates. Head on over to healthiq.com slash strengthrunning to see how much money you might be able to save on insurance as a runner. All right, we are talking to one of the most consistent marathoners on the pro circuit, Nick Arsini. <clears throat> Let me try that again. Nick Arseniaga. That's a mouthful. He actually just ran the California International Marathon this past weekend uh, to cap off 25 successful marathon finishes in his career. Uh, And as we talk about here in this episode, he barely gets injured. So I I think there's a lot to learn from him. Now, I'm actually recording this before his CIM finish, so I'm not exactly sure how he ran. But up until CIM, his PR was 211.30 and he's run multiple 211 finishes. And in this episode, we really geek out on his marathon training. We talk about uh, the mileage levels that he does, what he does during his taper, workouts, long runs, fueling, his race approach, recovery after the marathon, and everything in between. I literally had like 40 questions for him. And the goal here is to give you a perspective on the marathon from an elite runner. This is a pro whose goal is to win races and run fast. Now, us mere mortals, <laughs> we're probably not gunning for the, those podium finishes, but I think studying how pro runners prepare for and execute their races can be really instructive. So it can show us what to focus on, uh, just as important what not to focus on, and some of the big principles that are going to help inform our own marathon training. Now, I should add that this is not my entire conversation with Nick. I do a monthly interview for Team Strength Running, and the full interview is up for members right now. We're going to be opening for new members soon, so don't miss out on that. I'll show you what Team Strength Running is all about and how we help runners get a lot faster. If you want to get all the info, just go to strengthrunning.com TSR. That's TSR, as in Team Strength Running. 
And once you're all signed up, I'll take it from there. But I won't be opening up to everyone, just people on this early bird list, so don't miss out there. All right, time to geek out on the marathon. Are you ready? Let's get started. All right, Nick, thanks for joining me today. We are talking about the marathon and how an elite runner such as yourself prepares for it. So we're really going to dive into all of the uh, different types of training that you do for it, how you execute your race strategy, and then how you recover from the marathon once you cross the finish line. So thanks again for being here, Nick. I'm excited. Thanks for having me. All right. So uh, I guess let's start with how many marathons you've run at this point. You've, I know you've done at least several, but I'm not sure of the exact number. Um, I'm at 25 starts, 24 finishes. Oh, wow. You got that one DNF under your belt. Sorry about that. Yeah, it's one thing I always say that I've DNF'd uh, so I can uh, never do it again. <laughs> well, I'm glad you have that mindset. Now, yeah. after 24 marathon finishes, uh, what's your personal best at this point? I've run 211 uh, in 30 seconds, but I've also run 211 high and change uh, three other times. Yeah, I was reading on your blog that you've run 211 multiple times. So yeah, um, yeah you definitely uh, got that sub 210 in you next time, I think. I hope so. <laughs> got a now, few days till, till we can find out. Yeah, it should be exciting. Um, now, a lot of runners uh, that I talk with at least they want to know all about how you train for a marathon and um you know i always like to look to the you know the best runners in the world because they're the ones who are doing it at the highest levels so uh let's dive into the training for for the marathon and how you would uh tackle your next marathon so i guess we'll start with you know, when, when you're putting a marathon on the schedule, Nick, how long do you like to block off for training for that specific marathon? Is it like, you know, okay, I'm going to kind of build myself a 16 week training cycle. Is it 20 weeks? Is it only eight weeks? Like, how do you think about that? Uh, I usually go with the uh, 13 weeks. So 13 weeks worked out to be almost exactly three months. And that's kind of uh, during high school. We always had like our summer training from June first to August thirty first. So three months was always something like, okay, that's kind of my base period building and just uh, getting ready for a race. So every time I prepare for a marathon, okay, I can break down my yearly plan into uh, thirteen weeks. Every thirteen weeks, got something uh, on the horizon, sort of thing. I like that. Now, I think the the runner that. I think is, is most likely to be listening to this, we'll probably have the follow-up question. Why are you training for a marathon in such a short period of time? Because I know a lot of runners that I work with, they want to train for a marathon, you know, for 16, 18, maybe even 20 weeks long. Why is your training cycle only 13? Uh, for the most part, I know I figured out that uh, doing that cycle and just uh, putting together like the whole plan, uh, the first three to four weeks are just kind of building my my mileage back up. No workouts, really, maybe a long run uh, on the weekends. Uh, and then, like, the middle portion, middle six weeks or so, is where I just put in the full amount of work, just getting, like, the long tempo runs in and harder workouts, getting, introducing a little bit of speed. And then the last couple of weeks are just kind of tapering off, making sure I'm sharp and ready to go. Now, what I found over through the past, like, I've been training for the marathon um, well, I've been running marathons since 2006. I've been training for the marathons since I was in college uh, without even realizing it. So having that um, years and years of base has allowed me to put together a shorter amount of uh, specific marathon training uh, period. So 13 weeks does work pretty well for me. 
Yeah, I think it's probably good to note here that when you say you spend 13 weeks training for a marathon, it's not like you're starting from ground zero at, you know, week one of that training cycle. You know, you're already capable of probably putting in a decent number of of mileage for the week, a decent long run. So you've already kind of have that big foundation that you've built over, you know, not just the preceding six months or a year, but really your entire career. And and I think that is a really critical thing for runners to understand. I mean, even, you know, and I'm surely not in the same league as you by by any imagination here, but uh, I didn't run my first marathon until I had already been running for over 10 years. And, mm-hmm. and I think that really helped me run my best first marathon that I could. And, and I'm sure the same is true for you. You know, I, st- I could say I started training for the marathon when I was 14, even though I didn't run my first until I was 24, uh, just because oh, I got right. that huge base for a long time. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm the same way. Like, I started running, like, for high school when I was 14, same as you. And my high school coach was always pretty adamant about higher mileage. So I was running, like, 70, 80-mile weeks pretty consistently throughout high school, which... Um, as a professional runner, like that's what a lot of professional 5k, 10k guys put in, uh, going towards the marathon, you probably have to get over a hundred miles a week to be pretty competitive, uh, professionally. But once I got to college, I was doing that pretty consistently already at that point and thinking I was a 1500 meter runner at the time, but, uh, basically putting in the work that a marathoner normally would put in. Yeah. I was going to ask about mileage. So when you set up this 13 week training cycle, What's your weekly mileage like maybe at the beginning? And then what's your peak mileage like? Uh, I'll start off week one, probably 50 miles and kind of grow pretty quickly to get to like 100 to 115. Um, And then that middle block um, of six, seven weeks, I'll probably be 125 to 140 pretty consistently. Um, And then tapering off where chopping about 10, 15 miles off per week towards the end to where I'm racing around 90 miles per week. I see. Now, uh, how does that compare to, you know, quote, normal mileage? If you're not training for a marathon, what's your weekly mileage like in that kind of a situation? Yeah, if I were to train for a 5K or 10K, I'd probably keep it between 80 to 95, maybe even 100 mile weeks just to uh, accommodate having the lower volume, give myself some extra time to recover, but also to uh, be able to put in a lot of heftier um, workouts, more intense workouts for uh, shorter distance. Right, right. Now, a lot of runners are probably going to listen to this, and myself included, and go, how in the world are you going from 50 miles to 120 miles per week in, say, about six weeks, roughly? Is, mm-hmm. you know, obviously that progression of mileage is is very aggressive and obviously should not be undertaken by, uh, you know, your average runner. Um how how do you justify doing it? Is it because you've already gotten up to that high mileage levels in the past and you can afford to be that aggressive? Or, or like, how do you think about that? Uh, the way I put it is basically um, my yearly average. So um, well, I've been training since 2006 to till now. I'm putting in about 4,500 to close to just over 5,000 miles per uh, year which works out to be close to 90 to 100 miles per week on average. So when I'm getting bouncing back into it, I'll start off a little low, but a 100-mile week is an average week for me. Uh, so getting to that is not going to put that much like um, immediate strain on my body. And a lot of it is like I am have the ability to run my easy days at 7 to 
uh, minute miles. So doing a 10 mile run just takes me just barely over an hour. So it's not like I'm putting a lot of time um, on my legs. And at this point in my career, it's not that stressful um, at, at that point either. Okay. So your average mileage is, I, I think what I would probably call your baseline mileage, or in other words, the mileage that you're relatively comfortable at, it's not a huge stretch for you to complete that. And right. you can be aggressive building up to what you're already comfortable at. And then yeah. I'm sure, you know, once you get pretty far over a hundred, you have to be a lot more conservative with any kind of mileage increases. Is that right? Generally, once I get to 100, then I start applying the rule that like 10% rule. I won't go over like if I do a week at 100, the next week will be 110. The next week won't be over 121 and then so on and so forth till I get up to my max mileage. Now, let's talk about workouts. Um, a lot of runners either don't do any workouts or they're like on the track doing repeat 200s at, you know, their 800 meter pace, getting yeah. ready for the marathon. How do you structure your, your, you know, early season, mid season and late season workouts as you're prepping for a marathon? Uh, a lot of it, I just try to teach myself um, how I'm training by feel. It's been a little bit different in the past, well, I guess seven years I've been up at altitude, so I can't really rely on pace too closely. I just got to, uh, try to base off how I'm feeling each run. But my main workout is going to be my long run. I try to put in, um, when I'm running hundred miles a week, uh, 18 to 26 miles in the long run, um, pretty much every single week. And I'll vary that long run to being like a hard tempo or just time on the legs or just, uh, maybe a fast finish, um, sort of thing just to kind of change things up. But that's going to be my most quality workout throughout the week. Uh, outside of that, like midweek, I'll put in one to two other workouts where it's going to be um, something like a fart lick or if I'm training for like a hilly race, like a New York City marathon, I'll go out and do some hill repeats, uh, some longer like broken up tempos, get a little bit uh, like closer to half marathon to 10K type pace in uh, my quality efforts and uh, just changing things up, just throwing in a little bit of variety um, every other week sort of thing. Yeah, I like that. And I really like your emphasis on the long run, because I've always said that, you know, the long run is really the priority workout for marathoners. It's the most specific kind of run that you're going to do compared to the race itself. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm glad that you do one pretty much every week. I, I think one of the bigger mistakes that marathoners make is doing like a cutback long run every other weekend. So, you know, they might get up to 18 or 20 miles and then they go way down to 12. And doing that every other weekend, I think is shortchanging uh, the athlete. Now, I noticed that you go up to 26 miles and, yeah. you know, I, I think this is, we're definitely in the realm here of things that elite runners do that average runners probably should not, as well as you know, maybe running 120, 130 miles a week. Um, so, you know, you go up to 26 miles. Is that kind of a run, like a time on your feet run? Or are, are you doing some quality in a run that long too? Uh, that'll be more of a time on my feet run. So it'll take me, um, if I'm racing two hours uh, and change, I'll probably do the 26 miles in between 245 and three hours. So not quite uh, time in my time and a half over my uh, planned race pace or um, uh, goal finish, finishing time, but like just uh, getting myself out on my legs 50 minutes longer than I anticipate actually running during the actual marathon. 
how do you like what are your favorite strategies for preventing injuries while you're running over 100 miles a week you're running up to three you know really quality days during that week you know how do you stay healthy during all of this uh, I was fortunate when I was younger, <laughs> uh, high school and college, that I didn't get that very many injuries. And even my first um, probably eight years of uh, doing marathon-specific training, I avoided injuries pretty well. Um, lately, I have been taken to a little bit more of just a, a quality type of stretching post-run, making sure I'm doing uh, appropriate drills beforehand. I try to get to the gym um, at least once a week to do like uh, some core work and some like um, glute, uh, hip, hamstring type exercises to make sure those are functioning appropriately. Uh, and a lot of other little things where I'm going to see uh, chiropractors, massage therapists, like almost weekly to uh, make sure that m- muscles are moving fluidly and like are um, in the right spot, really. Right. And uh, I, I think it's it's a great thing that you mentioned uh not just getting stronger, but really making sure that your muscles are working properly. In other words, like firing in the proper order and really working the way that they should be working, not firing improperly or, you know, not being able to handle the load of running. So, you know, there's there's so many benefits to strength training, I think, and getting strong is really just one of them. Um, yeah. It doesn't mean you have to go to the gym and do like Olympic type lifts and do all this other stuff. It's a lot of body weight type work where you're just strengthening muscles and making sure that you're getting the correct form while you're doing them. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's really the form. And, uh, you know, I've uh, gotten friendly with a USA weightlifting national coach who works with some okay. elite runners up here in Boulder. And, you know, mm-hmm. he's always saying, you know, it's not how much you lift, it's how you lift. And, and I think that's the really critical thing. Um, now, in, in a similar vein, what are your thoughts on cross training? I mean, are you doing um, cycling, swimming, pool running, elliptigo, anything like that? No, I, I do zero of that. I have a bike. Um, I don't have a pool. Um, basically, the, my philosophy is I, I've had such a uh, blessed career where I have put in – I'm able to put in 140, 100. Uh, I'm, I'm maxed out at 160 miles per week at one point. Um, and being able to stay healthy with that, I feel personally for me the best way to become a better runner is to run more. Um, and since I'm able to recover quickly and um, continue on running after uh, races or like during high blocks of training, that if I can run, then I'll go out and run. If I need to stop and rest, if something's hurting, then I just need to take the time completely off and let it heal. Yeah, you're probably one of those runners that has phenomenal mechanics, and you know you're not uh, running in a certain way that really predisposes you to injuries. So you can put in that kind of a volume and and embed the quality within there. Um, uh, that is, uh, I think, a, a super talent that I wish I could bottle up and give to runners because I think it would be incredible if we could simply reduce the injury rate among runners. One of my other questions for you was, uh, and I'm probably going to botch this because I haven't fully formed it yet, but you know, when you're in peak marathon training, you're running 140 miles a week. What does your lifestyle look 
that supports that training. So kind of in other words, are you sleeping more than you usually do? Like, what does your diet look like? How are you, uh, or maybe you're not, like, how, do you try to reduce stress in other areas of your life? I know for me, uh, when I'm so- in peak marathon training, I like to joke around that I become a monk. You know, I, I don't go out. I really just try to put all my time and energy and focus into the training. And outside of that, you know, besides my other just normal responsibilities, I don't really do much. Yeah, I'm pretty much a monk full time these days. Um, and when I started doing marathon training, I started I joined uh, the Brooks Hansen's team out in Michigan, and basically we were working 35 to 40 hours per week at the running shoe store, and a bunch of single guys just out of college, just uh, running as much as we could until it's basically you go to work, you run twice a day, and uh, then you sleep and make sure that you eat in between all those. Um, now, like I have a wife, I have a still have a job where I'm working 35 to 40 hours a week, and I'm just trying to put in as much time on my legs as I can. So I'm going through states where I'm running um, before work, after work, and if I can um, sleep more than six hours a night, then that's uh, lucky. Um, I try to sleep and not have to take naps, but like a lot of times when I'm running. Uh, the high volume of training my body just is always is on overdrive so my mind doesn't shut off so it's hard for me to actually get longer than or it's hard for me to shut off and go to sleep and then I have to get up early the next day to uh, start everything over again so it gets to a point where I get a little bit sleep deprived because of it um, and that does eventually catch up to me where it just could be in the middle of a training week or I just need to shut things down and instead of uh, going out for my normal 12 to 14 mile run just sleep in and just go to work and do something else uh, later in the day um but yeah as far as diet goes when i'm running super high volume marathon training i just take in and consume as much as i can i usually try to keep it to a percentage of like 75 percent like healthy 25 percent unhealthy but basically the body's going to burn my body's going to burn anything at that point yeah 140 miles a week is uh, it it a mileage volume level that is going to certainly incinerate most of what you put in your body. Uh, that's, that's certainly a lot. Um, yeah, you, you used to seem like the kind of guy that can run a lot of mileage without getting hurt. You don't have to sleep 10 hours a night and you know, you're not someone who needs to eat like the cleanest of clean diets. Uh, so it sounds like you're kind of working with some really good tools for, for marathon training, which I think is a really good spot to be in. Um, Let's let's talk about racing now. Let's talk about the actual marathon itself. So, mm-hmm. we've gone through our 13-week training cycle. You've run you've run a lot of miles up to this point. Um, you know, let's let's talk race morning. Uh, do you warm up for the marathon? What does your warm-up look like? Uh, so it's evolved over time. Like I have always like gone out and done something before the marathon. My first one I jogged a mile, probably around like a 7:30 mile or so. Um Ever since then, I, this, the different groups I've joined with, Hanson's had us do a 10-minute warm-up. When I was uh, moved to Flagstaff, I joined the McMillan team, and we were doing a 15-minute warm-up. And I, that's kind of what I still do now. I go out and jog for 15 minutes. It might be a mile and a half at this point, or it might be like almost two miles, just depending on how loose my legs are feeling when I wake up that morning. But it's just I let it go by feel and just kind of just shake things out to get uh, my warm-up in for about 15 minutes beforehand. Now, are you doing any kind of like dynamic flexibility work, dynamic stretching, um, strides? Are you doing that kind of a, of a warm up too? Yeah, so I'll do like a 
kind of a, what I call like a lazy stretches where I, it's basically like dynamic stretching, but I'm laying on my back the entire time. So I'm not actually putting any uh, weight on my legs. I'm uh, just doing some hamstring exercises, some glute exercises, and then I'll get up and do some like a, uh, a skips, plyometrics, B skips, that sort of thing. And then, um, go into, uh, some strides as well. And a lot of it is kind of just more going through the motions than kind of getting the legs woken up than actual, like, uh, working on getting the most efficient type of, uh, drills and everything, or even strides. I'm not going to go all out and try to push myself to run as quick as I can. It's just to make sure the legs are ready to, um, you know, jump into a race with uh, some African guys. Yeah, you're you're not racing a 1500 where you need to be firing on all cylinders right from the gun. So there's, I, I don't think, as much of a need for such a thorough warm up in the marathon. Okay, so the gun goes off. What kind of a pacing strategy do you use? Uh, is it, you know, are, are you someone who likes to run as evenly as you can? Do you try to warm up a little bit over that first mile or two? Uh, how do you pace yourself? Yeah, it's mostly going into uh, it like I, I train by feel, so I try not to live by the watch. So I don't, I have a, a, a hope of what I will hit that first mile, and like hopefully it, it'll feel comfortable. But it's just based off the of feel, just kind of get my legs out and let them stretch a little bit that first mile or two. And um, I'd like to be with the um, whoever I'm racing against, be with the front group if I can. But sometimes they're uh, a little bit more aggressive than I would like to be, but. Um, more or less, I'd like to go out there and kind of run a more of a negative split type of race. So start off a little bit easier to let things stretch out and uh, wake up a little bit and then kind of ratchet down after two or three miles where I start running at a pretty even pace throughout. Yeah, uh, the even pacing, I think, is is probably one of the one of the better approaches for the marathon. Um, now, do elite runners use pace groups or you're kind of your own pace group, right? Uh, kind of our own pace group. I mean, there's some races, like I went out to Berlin and we were supposed to have some rabbits um, last year. Um, and basically the goal was to run a 210 marathon. So our rabbits were supposed to hit 305 per K just time after time after time. And like, that's basically the same thing as a pace group, but like the, at that level, like just a hair off and we can blow up. Um, so our rabbits were not great. Uh, they're varying between 255 and 315 per K, which is a huge variance per mile. Um, so a lot of times myself and this, uh, Swedish guy, we're going back and forth to trying to like not stick too closely to the rabbits because we knew they were off immediately and just worked ourselves together. But like, it still kind of got us to a point where we were doing more work than we wanted to. And then I ended up not having the, a great race. I still run and ran a two eighteen, but it wasn't the, the two ten that I was hoping for that day. But yeah, just, uh, the too big of a variance plus having to do too much work, um, kind of threw in a wrench, a wrench into my race that day. Yeah. The difference between a three ten thousand meter split and a two fifty five is pretty significant. I mean, that's about 20 seconds a mile roughly. Uh, yeah. and if you're 20 seconds too fast per mile, uh, it, at the level that you're at, you know, you're might be redlining a little bit too much. So yeah, mm -hmm. that's a little too quick. Um, now you mentioned neg negative splits. What's been the biggest negative split that you've ever done in a marathon? Um, uh, from half to half, I've only run one negative split. Uh, and that was at twin cities where I went out the first half marathon we or yeah, we were about 67 flat and the second half was uh 66, 12. 
Okay, so it is it is hard, isn't it? It's uh, yeah. I don't think you were. I was within like mo- most of my best races. Even when I've run two eleven, I'm within like two to three minutes, but it's still a positive split. Right. Yeah. Looking back at all mine, they're all positive splits. And, you know, runners are always asking me, like, should I try to negative split the race? And my my answer is always, yes, you should try. But it's one of those things that is is very difficult. And uh, I I think it's much more likely at the elite level, just because you guys are working with uh, much better tools, physical tools than, you know, Mm -hmm. the the rest of the population, us mere mortals who uh, are not really going to be able to maintain the pace or, or even speed up a little bit during those final, you know, four or six miles that, that are really challenging in the marathon. Um, yeah. How do you At feel? From what I've seen, basically, if, if anybody who finishes in the top three, probably negative split. Outside of that, it's a question mark. Right, yeah. That's that's something I've noticed, too. It's it's more like the, the, the top of the top group can do it. And, it, you know, you look at some races like... Um, you know, the Boston marathon and runners who can negative split races like that, that are just challenging courses, not just because of the Hills, but because of where the Hills come during the race, you know, the early downhills, the late big uphills. Uh, it really just goes to show you, uh, how far and above the average runner. Some of these elites really are. Um, now I, I interrupted you and, uh, I asked a question about fueling. How do you, uh, how do you fuel for the marathon during, during the race? Uh, so we're all provided with um, basically our own personalized bottles where we can put in whatever we would like into these bottles and we're provided them every 5K where we grab them off the side of the road uh, at these elite tables and they're spread out over probably 10 tables for each of the elites. So there's only like four or five um, bottles per table so they're, you don't have a chance of knocking them over. If they do get knocked over, then hopefully somebody's nice and shares with you. Um, but basically I put in, um, I'm sponsored by power bar. So I use a power bar mix, which has electrolytes. It's similar, um, concentration to most other like, um, endurance formulas out there. And then I also take, um, a power bar gel every 10 K or so to give myself a little bit of caffeine boost, a little bit of, um, extra calories in to try to keep myself, um, you know, functioning as, as well as I can, uh, both cognitively and physically. Yeah, so so you're taking in some caffeine with each of those gels. Um, now, are you practicing this same fueling strategy during a lot of your long runs during training? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm go out there if I'm out on my own and I don't have anybody like providing any like uh, support, then I'll go out a little bit beforehand and place bottles where I know I'll remember to pick them up and uh, grab them and drink them later, or I'll just go back and forth over the same 5k area and just uh, grab a bottle and kind of practice um, where when I'm running like a, at a high level, like a, almost at race pace and being able to drink it with that, take it the gel while still moving at that pace to uh, practice and make sure my body is, you know, um, taking it in. There's no upset stomach or anything like that going on. How much fluid is in those bottles? Is it like, is it really concentrated? So you don't have to sit there and, and chug down 20 ounces. Like how, what, what's it actually in there? Uh, so, I actually dilute it um, by half, so it's probably only like probably 100 calories and like a half of what the a normal serving of uh, the Power Bar uh, formula really actually has. Uh, but I usually put about 10 ounces of fluid there with uh, just a scoop of the powder and kind of mixed up, and using like the uh, the gels to actually give me a little bit more like actual um, concentration of stuff. But the uh, 
I'm, I'm a sweater, so I sweat a ton. So no matter how cold it is, no matter how fast or slow I'm running, I'm just going to be sweating pretty constantly. So taking in about 10, 8 to 10 ounces of uh, fluid every 5K is something that I require just to keep myself uh, hydrated. So I'd go more with the uh, fluid intake on that, and I can take it in. Uh, I have no problem drinking on the run, just taking it in about five, six seconds. So it doesn't really uh, slow me down too much or take too long to uh, refuel. Now we're all runners here, so we can talk about these things. What happens when you have to go to the bathroom? I mean, you're drinking eight, 10 ounces every 5K. Now I know you're probably, you you said yourself, you have a high sweat rate, um, mm-hmm. but do you have to stop and, and urinate while you're running? I never had it in a marathon. I've had uh, other dietary issues, um, not urination, uh, during half marathons. Um, and yeah, during those races, I have had to stop and use a porta potty. And I try to be in and out of there as quickly as possible. My best um, porta potty stop split is about 29 seconds. Impressive. And yeah, just keep on going and try to like <laughs> chase down whoever I was running with before that. <laughs> well, I had to ask. I've. Uh, never had to personally stop to, to pee during a marathon myself, but uh, I have had some of those GI issues uh, myself. Yeah. <clears throat> but 29 seconds, that's a, that's a really solid porta potty PR right there. Now, do you use any kind of uh, internal mantras or some sort of positive affirmation while you're running to kind of keep your mind on track, or do you not need that? Uh, one thing I've always had, I've uh, always told myself, uh, even in training, is like, I could always do three more miles. Um, basically like it, or my easy run in high school was just go out and uh, jog three miles and it always just seemed, um, so casual that like I, once I get to, into my training runs where even when I'm going like an easy 14 or maybe a long run where I'm going 22, 24 miles, like, okay, you just get myself to the last three miles and then it'll just take care of itself. So basically in a race, I'm pretty much thinking the same thing. Just get to mile 23 and the last 5k will take care of itself. I like that because you've found a strategy that works so well for you personally. It's such an individual approach. It's you know for you that three miles is, you know, from the moment you started running as in high school, it was a manageable distance. And now you kind of use that as, well, if it's just three miles, I can always muscle through that or I can always yeah. get through that three miles. Um, yeah, I think I think runners should find something that is is a little bit more personal uh in terms of a a mantra or even just something that they kind of tell themselves during the race to to make the effort a little bit more manageable Uh, i think that's that's important now when you finish a marathon what is what is the first hour after a marathon look like for you like do you have any any recovery routines that that you like to to use during that during that kind of crucial first hour window uh, so that first hour, I'm feeling great. I'm usually um, not in too much pain, not feeling the uh, struggle just yet. And I'm going around trying to take in some food because I know I'll need some fuel eventually. But uh, there's a lot of requirements for myself where I might be called over to uh, get uh, to have some like media interviews or go to drug testing. So I have to keep myself available for those things while trying to change my clothes get off my feet and just kind of let things sit in. I want to talk to the, my competitors or my uh, friends and uh, try to see my wife catch up with anybody who's in the stands and talk to them. Just kind of be more social at that point because 
basically during a race, I'm like, I'm a mute. I, I don't say a word. If somebody talks to me, I ignore them and maybe I'll give them like a little wave of my hand, but I don't really, um, vocalize anything. So afterwards it's time to be a little bit more social after that one, my hour mark hits, uh, then my body just starts shutting down and, um, my stomach turns inside out and I'm pretty much hopefully at, back in my hotel that room at that point. So I can, um, just lay on the floor and be in the fetal position for an hour or two after that. <laughs> Nick, there's a bed in the hotel room you can use. <laughs> I, I found the floor with the pillow under my head works best. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> now, uh, this reminds my first half marathon. I, I laid in the fetal position for a good 30, 45 minutes after the race. It was, it was so terrible. I had such stomach issues, but, uh, how much time off do you take after a marathon? Are you someone who is like back at, ease some easy running like two days later or, or do you like to take some more substantial time off it, it, it's based off how the race goes like if it's um we're probably completely blow up and like have a bad day uh it's probably because my body was broke, breaking down so there's something damaged so i would probably take uh more time off than if i had a good race if i had a great race then i'll probably try running the next day see if anything is hurting too much i'll go out and jog for half an hour which will be about three miles at that point um and just see if anything is aggravated more than uh, i would expect but yeah i've had races where i've taken zero days off i've had races where i've taken three weeks completely off uh it just i base it how i feel the rest of that day and the next day yeah you so you mentioned running for like a half an hour your first run back and and I think what you said was is super instructive there. You said, um, I want to see how my body feels. Yeah. I want to see how my legs feel. And, you know, with my athletes, I call this a test run. The goal yeah. is, you know, no pace expectations whatsoever. Let's just get out there, run as easy as possible. And the real goal here is just to see how your body responds to running again. So let's see what hurts, what's really tight, what might you need to spend a little bit of extra time on during this recovery phase of training. Uh, yeah, that's uh, very instructive that you do that. I think it's super helpful. Yeah. And it help, helps going into your uh, next training period because it tells you what your most inefficient muscle or what you're using the most that basically tells you what you need to strengthen going into your next one. Yeah, that's a good point. It's, uh, and, and especially if you're really sore after a race and, and you know, that soreness is not, I'll say evenly distributed, you can kind mm -hmm. of uh, use that experience to almost like a science experiment to say, oh, this kind of shows me that I might have a weakness here and imbalance there. And then the next training cycle, you can work to improve upon that and get even stronger and, and hopefully use that experience to, to keep improving. Yeah. A lot of running is just a constant trial and error. Yeah, that's for sure. Now, um, what about, you know, that, so that week after the marathon, uh, you know, take running out of the picture. What does that week look like in terms of other recovery, um, strategies that you might employ? I mean, I'll just be eating a ton. Like I'll just uh, have a lot of red meat, a lot of, uh, salad, just make sure I'm going out and, uh, walking around a lot, uh, a lot more than I would if I was, uh, running 140 miles a week. But basically if I'm running, I'm probably not going to go more than probably 50 miles that week, which still probably sounds like a lot, but it, for me, it's like just three to eight mile runs, which is too uh, strenuous. But I'm going out and I'm making sure that I'm sleeping a bit more and um, 
being a little more sociable rather than uh, the monk that I was leading into that point. Yeah, we should mention that 50 miles a week for you is half of what your average mileage is like. So if there's someone listening here who's super comfortable at 30 miles a week, you know, that's like running 15 miles a week. So it's it's all relative. And that's what that's one of the things I love about running is that, you know, we can take some of the the, the lessons and principles that, that you're following, Nick, and really scale them way down to uh, us mere mortals who are, are not capable of putting in the work that you can do. Um, mm-hmm. Now, how many marathons, let me ask you this, how many marathons do you usually do per year? Uh, I've experimented that with that quite a bit. I started off doing only one per year, and then I dabbled a little bit with doing two per year. I uh, got up to three, then last year, 2016, I did four um, in one year. And that fourth one was a big mistake. It really, it broke me for quite a while afterwards. <laughs> Tell me how you really feel. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Like how many marathons do you think, let's just say the average runner can do well per year? Uh, the average runner, probably two. I, I would say that more times than not than, uh, two is going to be pretty consistently, uh, run, run pretty well. Yeah, I, I generally like to tell runners, you know, let's let's you can do two per year, but then maybe the next year let's just do one, and that and that gives you some other chunks of time during the rest of the year where you can focus on shorter races, and 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 I think that's important too. Uh, you know, I think a lot of the, a lot of, you know, us average runners you know, we don't have the tools to do marathon training, like as efficiently as someone else might, uh, you know, who's, who's a lot more talented, you know, we're, uh, you know, we're not getting the power, the speed just because we're not doing as many workouts as, as you might be doing. So I think it's, it's helpful to do that other kind of more intense work, um, periodically as well. Cause you know, oh, yeah. I, I think, I think running is running fitness is fitness. And if you make a huge breakthrough in the 5k, that means you're probably ready to have a breakthrough in the marathon too, because at the end of the day, that just means you're a better runner. Yeah. Just your body is, uh, handling the, uh, your, your muscles are growing, you're getting stronger and you're able to handle, um, more challenges. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. It's like your, your range of speed has increased and, and that is obviously going to help your marathon in the future as you know, you layer on some endurance on top of that and you know, we're off to the races. Yeah. All right, Nick, what's next on your race schedule? Where, where can we, and then after that, you know, where can we follow your racing and and training? Uh, so my race, uh, next race is actually in four, maybe five days. I'm going to be doing the CIM uh, Calendar National Marathon U.S. Championship in Sacramento. Very exciting. Um, December 3rd. So got that one coming up pretty soon. Um, my training has not been great. So I don't know if you guys will be able to uh, see me on the lead camera or anything like that. But um, I'm going to be putting a good amount of effort at least uh, and going to be finishing. Just like I said, I'm not going to DNF again. <laughs> yeah, you can't have two <laughs> on, your, on your resume. Nope, not, not going to happen. Um, so yeah, I got that coming up and basically, uh, a lot of my runs, I upload everything to Strava. I got, got the Garmin connect going. So everything I keep up there, is just uh, pretty publicly well known. I try to keep my website up to date, but it, it falls behind too often than not more often than not. Nick, you're also on social media, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Instagram, Twitter, um, Instagram is own your run. Uh, you could also search me by looking up Nick Arsenyaga. Um, Twitter handle is Nick Arsenyaga. Uh, Facebook, same thing, Nick Arsenyaga. 
Awesome, man. Well, best of luck at CIM this coming weekend. I didn't realize that you're racing so soon, but uh, yeah. you know yeah. you're you're probably only you're not running very much this week. You're tapering, so I'm glad yeah. you had some time to actually do this interview. This is great. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks for getting in contact with me. I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. So good luck this weekend and uh, best of luck. Yeah, thank you. And there's my chat with elite marathoner Nick Arseniaga. Hey, I pronounced it right that time. Improvement is a good thing. Uh, So just remember, this is not my full conversation with Nick. Like I mentioned at the beginning, this is just an excerpt from the Team Strength Running Coaching Program. This program is where any runner, doesn't matter how fast you are, how slow you are, can get personal coaching from me affordably with access to a whole library of training plans. We do a monthly guest interview just like this one. We have a community of other runners to get support and encouragement from and a host of other great discounts and other resources. And the good news, we are opening soon. So don't miss out on that. Go to strengthrunning.com TSR and sign up to learn more about the team. Finally, a big thanks to supporter of the show, Health IQ. They're a unique insurance company that helps health-conscious people, like us runners, get lower life insurance rates. Now, historically, runners have been penalized for things like family history and other things that we don't really have any control over, but we haven't been rewarded for our healthy lifestyles. And Health IQ changes that. They've gathered all this data and research to convince insurance companies that health-conscious folks, like runners, deserve lower rates. And since... Uh, The research has shown, it's actually been quite conclusive, that runners have a 41% lower risk of heart disease and up to a 35% lower risk of early death, for example. They've been successful. Over the last couple years, they've helped tens of thousands of athletes secure billions of dollars of coverage. So if you want to see if you qualify, go to healthiq.com slash strengthrunning to see how much money running can save you on life insurance. All right, that's it for me today. Run strong, and I'll talk to you soon.